Hello, my name is Louise Newsom, and you're listening to the Trade and Prosper podcast channel, where we share the stories of individuals and businesses that make our communities. We believe in those that are committed to doing well by doing good, using their hands, minds, and hearts to create a better place for us all, and believe that a little sweat and a lot of sharing turns a community into a populace of prosperity. Trade and Prosper is a forum where those like-minded individuals meet to trade ideas, information, goods, and services, as well as building long-lasting relationships that enable them to expand their reach locally and also globally. On this episode, you will meet James Anthony, the founder of Venetia Flea, a nomadic flea market hosting events downstate and upstate New York, as well as recently expanding to the West Coast. James, who always loved markets, spent entire Saturdays at swap meets in Southern California where he grew up, and after moving to New York would do the same exploring the many street fairs and markets around the city. Realizing the growing makers movement, he established Venetia Flea in 2014 in Venetia, a small upstate New York town to connect and showcase the growing hub of creatives and makers that lived in that area. Now Venetia Flea and the newly formed Mojave Flea plan to host over 20 weekend events in 2019. Hey James, how are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Good, so we're in your gorgeous home here in Kingston, New York. And um, I just wanna ask you before we get into the whole Phoenicia Flea movement um, mm -hmm. and culture, a little bit about your background, because I know you've had a uh, professional Oh uh, yes, journey. many lives, <laughs> many chapters, many lives. Um, yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles, um, California, and I've always, gravitated towards um, you know the creative so into drama into art very young like made my parents drive me to an Andy Warhol exhibit when I was 15 years old and I got all dressed up I think we even sipped wine <laughs> you know I wanted like you know so um, and even when I was very young socially I was always gravitated to people who were smarter or more talented than I was because I was interested in being um, surrounded by creative people and people who did things that maybe I was too um, timid to do but vicariously could still experience. So throughout my life I've been involved in the music industry and in the beauty industry and in design industry again sort of collecting those creative minds um genius really around me um did you work for any companies yeah so i actually started uh, when i left home and moved to seattle i was in the music industry and i ended up doing um, pr for different labels and bands and stuff and then uh, eventually started my own label and this is in the 90s in Seattle which was like such a beautiful time it was sort of just post Nirvana and pre Amazon so it was like a time where you could still sell records and you know before the whole digital era was really happening so it was a, a great time so music industry and then when I was to first to supplement my income I worked for um, Rudy's Barbershops and the Ace Hotels which were started in Seattle. Um, so that's where I dipped my foot into hospitality and beauty and then eventually moved to New York and started my own hair salon in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, really the first 
true hair salon in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Again, because I was obsessed with the the creative environment, the music, hairdressers, all the drama that came along with it, <laughs> the the transformative quality of what they did. So you weren't cutting, no. Styling. That's you the thing. I never learned to play guitar, so I surrounded myself with musicians. I never learned to do hair, so I surrounded myself with hairdressers. And now, the thought of making anything gives me anxiety, <laughs> but I surround myself with makers. Right. So it's, it's really about it's collecting, about supporting. supporting, building a platform right. for creatives to thrive. That's my happy place. Right. And Venetia Flea came about in 2014. It did. I had moved back to New York because um, I had left for a couple of years to sort of wander. And um, friends of mine had opened the Gram Co. in Phoenicia, where I had um, previously lived. And I went back to be the GM. And that's when... Phoenicia Diner had just opened. They opened at the same time. So that summer, the pr there was so much press about Phoenicia, which is so funny because it's this little town, but it's always been really lively. And that whole time I was like, you know what, it would be... And that's sort of when the maker's movement was sort of happening. Yeah. Where the term makers had come about. And people have always been knitting and, and, and doing leather work and car, you know, and stuff. But this is when, like, young sort of modernity and um, uh, sort of like a design focus started ha happening with um, handmade things. So I was always like, you know what, I would love to do a market in Phoenicia because I thought it was lively enough to, to be sustainable. And so when I was GM at the Gram & Co, that's when I proposed to the creative team there and the owners like, let's do a market. So we did the first one in July of 2014. And did you just invite your friends? Just people. I did. Know? Like you know, there's there's the the OGs of of makers in the Hudson Valley, which is like Rebecca Peacock, um, Al Kill Studio, Andrew Moeller, Wishbone Letterpress, obviously. So I just started asking around and getting referrals, and so the first group was small. I think we only had 14 makers at the very first event. But again, we did it how we still do it today, where we create this perimeter, this flow to it, bonfire, blankets, badminton. Like it was, you know, it turned into even from day one an all-day experience for people. Obviously, that's where you got the name from, Venetia Flea, because yes. that's where it started. Venetia, New York, yes. <laughs> um, and I just want to quote you. I mean, you said, anyone can buy anything online. The Venetia Flea is an experience. Good tunes, shopping, eating, drinking, and lying on a blanket next to the bonfire. That's luxury to me. Yes. So you just said that that's how you started and you haven't changed your model. Yeah, no, not at all. Not, yeah, I mean, I've improved the production side of it, but in terms of the experience, it's the same since day one. Now, yeah. do, were you at the beginning of this? I think you were, 2014 of the, of the whole market experience. Yeah, I think that the only other, I mean, there's always been traditional craft shows, but in right. terms of like a modern, younger, fresher kind of experience, the only two that had happened once before me were the Hullabaloo, which still happens, which is a huge yeah. one, and um, Hudson River Exchange, which has, has now folded in terms of their markets. They're still doing really great stuff, but they're not doing a market every year anymore. So yeah, it was us three that were sort of the first 
of the modern craft fairs. Right. And so, and your model is this idea of, of the traveling flea. Yes. So how do you go about finding your locations? Well, the the reason why we turned nomadic, which in a way was a blessing because it, no one's actually really done that as a business model. Meaning, I mean, they do pop-ups in different cities, but in terms of us traveling to destination towns, that happened because I wanted to do the flea at the Graham & Co. more often, but they, the ownership wasn't really willing to do commit to all that. So, so that's why I became nomadic. So I literally just started approaching properties and again, untraditional properties. We don't just go to an event space, rent it and put on a, 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 an event. We partner with properties as an experiential marketing moment for all parties involved. So yeah, the first one, not at the Graham & Co, was at the Bearsville Theater in Woodstock. And then we sort of just approached properties and like-minded properties who understood what, the value we brought and it just went from there. And, and now we get approached by properties and we're always sort of looking for more and more unusual. I mean, we've taken people deep into a hundred year old orchards for events and stuff like that. So, you know, sculpture gardens or, you know, lots of hotels, um, and some traditional event spaces. Um, so it, it literally could be anywhere, but our criteria is just a beautiful environment. And so the whole idea of a bricks and mortar, like one location. I've, I've entertained that idea because there is something to the idea of not having to drag everyone around the country. Right, it's hard. It was hard. It was. It was really hard for me because I, I was doing the production side the hard way, but it was the only way to make it affordable. So it would take me hours and hours and hours to do, and it was so exhausting. So during that time, yes, I was like, can I just rent a place and do it permanently? Um, but again, that would have just been the easier and yet probably um, more difficult way to survive in the long run because retail is a, is a struggle. Yeah. It really is for people. We're definitely a retail experience, but again, it's always in a new place. It's always with a new group. It's... Um, much more an event than just um, going to a store. To well, buy that's something. right. So the reach, obviously, for the actual vendors is there too. So they do you yes. find that that is keeping people with you? Oh yeah, they- absolutely. Because you reach new markets that it would be really difficult to do on a wholesale level. Um, business relationships, you know, brand to brand collaborations have all come out of. The Phoenicia Flea, collaborating on, you know, private label products. Right. You know, like a textile designer collaborating with an apparel or baby, baby or a home goods brand partnering together. You know, a ceramics brand collaborating with a candle maker brand. You know, there's, there's those kinds of things that happen. So, you know, at Trade and Prosper, I mean, we're really focused on supporting small business too. Yes. And... Uh, creating an opportunity for businesses to trade with each other. Yes. Do you see that happening at the markets? Because your markets, yes. see, there, there are larger markets out there. And I know with the vendors, it's often difficult for them to meet other vendors because yes. they're busy. So yours yes. is small and intimate. It's small and intimate. We can be as big or as small as we need to be, depending on the property. Our vendors know that when they come, it's not only 
an experience for our patrons, but also for them. Like they end up having a really good time over the weekend because of the people they meet, the fellow, you know, who, who they are next to in their booth. Yeah, and, and the amount of support we all give each other. I mean, Paul and I just buy all kinds of stuff every at every market because mm-hmm. it's really exciting to to authentically want the things that we offer to bring a home even in our own home to eat, to wear, to burn, to enjoy every day. Like it's it's really it's really fun. Right. I yeah. mean, yeah, that, it comes through that yeah. you really believe in this space. Yes. You're part of it. It's, yes. Yeah. And everyone feels the same way. Well, that's right. And it's a culture. Phoenicia Fleet is a culture. Yes. You've created that. Yes. And they, and they, and everyone buys and it's, that's the thing you, it's a, it's trade. It's local trade. It's when we go to the Berkshires or we go to Pennsylvania or we go to Connecticut, we're bringing goods that people don't see every day. And that's where the train, the, the local trade comes in. Yes. You know, and people literally do do trade. They say, oh, can I have that? And I'll give you this. Yes. You know what I mean? So it is all sorts of economic exchange. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, it's amazing. And so, I mean, this is a growing space. I mean, from, like I was saying, from 2014 to now, yes. there are many fairs out there. There is. Many events. Do you see this as sustainable? And I mean, we've talked how you differentiate yourself and I think you still differentiate yeah, yourself. Yeah, I think it's sustainable for us because of the business model we ended up having um, sort of defies, again, the brick and mortar model on the same corner day in and day out. And also it defies the same event in the same location on the same day every year, right? Right. So again, when we pop up at a brand new hotel, a lot of people are like, oh, I haven't been there. Let's go. Because it's just an extra incentive to go and experience a property or another business and a whole another food and beverage program and just a stroll around, you know? Yes. So we're really lucky because it's always, we're always mixing it up. When you're choosing your vendors, because I'm sure you have more people apply to come and be part of Vinciously yes. than you can yes. actually have. So how are you choosing, picking and choosing and creating? Well, we're always adding to our roster based on what I consider beautiful. Like it's really simple. I don't have any application processes, traditional ones, because a lot of times those are just methods to make a little bit more money off of vendors, which I'm not interested in. So it's literally like if people inquire, all I say is send me links to your website and or social media so I can take a look at what you do. And in 30 seconds, I can say yes or no. Like it's really that simple. So technically we curate by invite only. So if you're, in, if you're added to our roster, it's an open invite to join us at any event. So people just have to say which one they're interested in and that's it. The only time we turn people away is if an event, and this is mostly for our holiday events, if there's I never want to have too many people in one category because you can end up with like 20, you know, 30% jewelry makers if you allowed it. But I try not to do that. And then if people make things that whose aesthetic I'm really not that into, then of course I, I say we'll have to pass. I mean, it's been like decorating a home, right? I mean, that's how yeah, you're looking I mean, at it, how the ebb and flow is. Yes, and it's, and, you know, we have developed an audience and I have to, it's just like a retail situation in a traditional brick and mortar store where you have to know your customer, right? It's not, you just can't have anything 
because then it's very confusing. Yeah. So you really have to develop a reputation and a taste level Meeting that's appropriate. Them. Right. You know. Are you collecting any kind of analytics around, first of all, numbers of attendees, sales? No, we're terrible at that. <laughs> <laughs> For, so for 2019, we're going to start doing things like that because in, as, as we're putting bigger and bigger partnerships together, those analytics are important. So this wonderful woman that this strategy for me, she's always like, um, can you please get it together? I'm like, okay, yes, I'll get it together. So we do need to start counting, collecting more data from our, our vendors and um, utilizing that stuff for I mean, sure. You could even backtrack because with Square... The wonderful tool of that's Square true. that you can that's ask true. them to give you yeah. the Venetia Fleet. I'm a little bit hesitant because, again, I want to sustain a quality over quantity following. Mm. You know, there's plenty of markets where 10,000 people come. Mm. Markets are already exhausting, but if you have too many people just coming to look and not buy, I don't want to be in that situation mm-hmm. because it's, it's exhausting. And so I... I like to fly a little bit under the radar. So our marketing strategy is always really trying to reach our people and not just everyone. And those numbers will show you that. I mean, they'll show yeah. you that, you know, if you're the getting... The percentage of right, sales versus the attendance. 300 people yes. coming to the event and the sales are... Well, that's the thing. Like our first Berkshires event at Turn Park, I had like 10 vendors. We had never been to Massachusetts Maybe 500 people came the entire weekend, but every single person bought something. That makes, that's impactful. Yes. And so it was fabulous. Yes. No, absolutely. Now, I've got to talk about this. I mean, you're moving to the West Coast or moving Venetia Flea part of the year to the West Coast. Yes. So you're doing that Hudson Valley, Mojave Desert kind of yin and yang. Yes. It's going to be called Mojave Flea and it's our West Coast version because I've always seen the Coachella Valley as as like the Hudson Valley of the West Coast. It's two hours from LA. It's a it's a deep valley. It's literally the desert version of the Catskills. And more and more creatives are moving there. Architecturally, it's amazing. The landscape is beautiful. So, and I grew up in LA, so I have to see my family at some point. <laughs> so this is the perfect way to. Uh, so we're launching it this winter. Um, and the thing is, is you know, it can be fun to be in the Hudson Valley in the winter, but I can just do more out there where it's 70 degrees, you know? Oh, yes. Well, and I think, I mean, do you see uh, parallels with the markets? Or yes. is it different? Uh, yeah, so f- f- from a distance, yes. Um, and from the fact that so many creatives are leaving LA to live in the desert, um, the exciting thing for me is that there's new aesthetics that I'm encountering that, that don't make sense in New York, but make perfect sense in the Southwest, which is really exciting for me because I'm seeing new ideas, new materials, new techniques that make more sense out there, which is exciting for me. But the exact business economy, we'll see. Yeah, well, that's right. It's all t- testing. Yes. I mean, in your mind's eye, do you imagine the two worlds crossing over? Well, they already are. We have people oh, from New York com- coming to our events and, and vice versa. It's really amazing with social media how small the world actually is and how many people have like, yes, I've been, I know about the Phoenicia Flea. I've been following and, and And so it's been really, it's just always amazing to connect the dots with like-minded people 
And from what I've experienced, there isn't a super oversaturation of markets out there yet, like there is on the, the East Coast. So I think it's a good time for us to do what we do. So we're starting with Scottsdale, Arizona on December 15th, and then Palm Springs, January 13th at the Ace Hotel. So actually talking about social media and, mm -hmm. and your following, I mean, you have a very large following on Instagram specifically. Uh, what was it, shy of 20,000 Yes, I think we're one of the most, if not neck and neck with the most followed market in the North. Right. In the Hudson Valley. So tell me, I mean, because it's good for other businesses to hear this, mm -hmm. how you got the energy around your, your social media. Yeah, I, I think in general for any successful Instagram following, um, just the consistency of posting and also the consistency of aesthetic of your images. So that just visually it tells a story for the brand. But also what I've realized is what we do it's not literally just about like the makers or about just the events. Again, we do over 20 events a year in the region. So there's an ongoing story. It's not just leading up to one holiday market a year, one spring, you know, it's like, like it's an ongoing story, but then the in-between, the lifestyle of the Hudson Valley, I try to represent too. You know, the majority of our following is obviously in New York City and we're giving them the fantasy of living and working in the Hudson Valley and the getaways, you know? So it is also aspirational in terms of like people wanting to be more connected and spend more time in the Hudson Valley. So that's part of the story too. It's just the lifestyle. Right. Yes. Right, you're creating a story. Yes. And it's a story of, of migration. Right? Yes, because yes, there's been this. Yes. I mean, that, that must be the biggest thing you've seen over the past four years. Actually. Oh, yeah. And it's wonderful to see people, just people really stepping out of their comfort zones and, and having a love affair with the country. Anything that draws in people who have a true love for the region, I think, is good. And over these four years, have you actually seen businesses thrive? Mm -hmm. I mean, you must have seen some go, unfortunately. Yes. Well, it's just like, you know, being in Seattle in the 90s and be, being in Williamsburg, Brooklyn in 2001, you see the young, creative people. It always starts with authentic businesses. And then you see people who come in to try to piggyback off of that. And those don't always survive because, because people can, you know, smell the inauthenticity so really, the businesses that do thrive and even the makers that do thrive are people who have true self-expression and original ideas. That's really key, I think, to success. And not just, oh, you know, that's the thing to do to make money or... Right. It has to be Well, the legit. passion has to come through in... Yeah, and also the connection yes. with people. I mean, the reason why businesses like... Kingston Wine Co. or Brunette are thriving is because you can feel it when you walk in that door that there's love and self-expression. And again, the experience at my markets and the experience at Brunette is you're buying something or being served something from the person that created it, right? Hmm. And that's the experience an online platform can't ever do. Right. 
we're such a technology-driven society. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got the big guys like Amazon, and mm -hmm. we've even Etsy, which mm -hmm. is big corporate yeah. now. Yeah. And why do you think this is such a growing, important space when that is also such a big and Yeah, and all space. those things can be advantageous to the makers' movement, for sure. But it really starts with, I think, the movement of going back to sort of a, a, a balance to all of that, to the digital explosion um, and monopolies, is that people wanted to get back to making things with their hands, like men and women have always done throughout the, you know, since the dawn of time. Yeah. And all the catharsis and, and satisfaction and joy that comes with that. And when you are able to bring that to market, again, without the, the hustle of wholesaling, like all the old business models in terms of retail, but able to come to market, bring what you've created, have conversations and dialogue about it with people who are curious and engaged and sell it to them and it becomes useful and lasts a lifetime. I mean, it's just, it's just a love story. Right. I mean, it, it, you know, and it's a reaction and a resistance against disposable living, which is, is going to be the only way that oh, the human race will survive and that will, the planet will survive is if we stop looking to disposable resources to live. Like, we, that needs to end. Right. Yeah. To kind of wrap this up, mm -hmm. I just want to ask you sort of what hopes, dreams, visions do you have for Venetia Flea going into 2019 and even beyond if you were to look for the next five years? Yes, I think what, what I, because I've, I've literally been a one-man show this entire time and I've um, started to outsource some strategy help and um, business development help but we need to even i need to go back to basics a little bit and and start with the lowest hanging fruit which is developing our own merchandise which would be you know collaborating with our makers for Phoenicia Flea products we should have our own booth at our own events we need to focus on our analytics for sure but then in terms of our events i'm always looking to just fine-tune the production, the aesthetics, just to make the events more fabulous, more memorable, bigger even, and um, just to connect with more and more people who would enjoy them. And then, of course, to duplicate that on the West Coast more and more. But then we also fantasize about like, okay, let's partner with Amtrak and do a touring Traveling like the traveling, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the traveling fleet. Yes, absolutely. Whenever oh there's gosh. some sort of little like drama we're always like on this episode of Phoenicia Flea we, you know what I mean so like the whole reality show you know it's just it, you know there isn't enough coverage in my opinion in the media on the lives of makers so I would love to see more of that and if I could somehow be a part of that that would be because there's so many stories of people who who they were who they become and who they will be because of what they've made with their hands. That's right, and those stories are only going to drive others into it, the space. It's true. So we need more, we need to hear those stories more. Wonderful, thank you, James. Yay, thank you so much. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on Trade and Prosper. For more information on our organization and to listen to more podcast episodes, head over to tradeandprosper.com. 
Also, follow us on social media for the latest news, events, and posts about a business near you.